I think, JB, we're live. But good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnights. I'm Anthony Price. <laughs> and I'm Jonathan Bradley, just to confuse you, Ant, because I normally say JB and then we go into normal banter, which is where we normally get confused. Then we forget, forget to say nice things to each other in the normal way that society works. So, Ant, how are you? How's your week so far? Um, the week so far is not bad at all, actually. Um, we've had lots of things. We've signed our office lease, which is all very exciting. Um, we have um, also um, done some other exciting things with some clients. So it's all go, go, go. And But more importantly, ladies and gents, I'm more keen to find out about JB's bongo trip, which, again, for some of you in the audience, you may not understand what this thing is. JB. Yes, if you're new to our madness, uh, there's a lot of people who've decided that they want to get out and about into the open air. They've been trapped inside their houses for so long uh, that they need to go and spread the love. We felt the same, so uh, bought this little thing called a bongo. It's a Mazda bongo. It's the poor man's version of a Volkswagen T6, which is the thing I'd really, really like. Right. But anyway, the bongo's great. Uh, it's got a little sink, it's got a little cooker, and a little fridge, the most important thing that you could ever possibly need when you go camping, to put all your Sauvignon Blanc, uh, or your beers, or whatever. Um, anyway, so we went to the New Forest, and it was just divine. It was brilliant. Uh, I don't know whether other people got the memo, but, um, you know, all the people I was talking about who decided after COVID to leave their houses and go wild uh, in the wilderness, uh, but anyway, there wasn't anyone else there. I don't know why, but anyway, we were there on our own in the middle of nowhere with uh, deers, with ponies, uh, with cows, um, nothing, nothing, nothing else but birds and wildlife and trees and oxytocin and oxymorons and oxy, oxy everything that you could ever possibly want on a camping trip. And we made a cup of tea in the morning. Uh, we couldn't quite fit side by side in the bongo. Um, I'm obviously quite broad. Uh, so I squashed the wife into a small little space, which by about three in the morning wasn't working for her. So the solution- I guess it's, it's post watershed for some of our listeners around the world. So, um, you know, this is, <laughs> this is fine, yeah. This, I could go on and on about the bongo, but I won't. I'll just I'll just finish it with a top and tail, mm. which is what happened. So she went the other way. So I got her feet and she got mine. And actually that solved the, the, the problem. And if you'd never slept that way with your other half before, try it. I, I actually really quite enjoyed it. Other sleeping positions are available. Um, so um, for those of you that are new to the Global Leadership Podcast, let us explain a little bit about how it works. Apart from me and JB talking about his bongo, which I promise is a vehicle, it is nothing else. Um, we each week tackle um, leadership issues. We take listener questions. Now, if you want to listen to our, believe it or not, we were just saying before we weren't live, 20 months of archives. Um, you can access that by searching Seedle on any podcast provider and it is there for your enjoyment. Now, I need to warn you that many moons ago, we used to do it when we were on tour somewhere in the world, which typically involved including alcohol, um, mm. which traditionally then translated into um, a rather debaucherous um, episode. So if you do listen to our archives, please remember, um, uh, you might want less young ears available. Um, but that's just as a word of warning. But also, we also take your listener questions. So if you do have a listener question, you can email it to us at globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or for Seedle users that are watching us in the live audience. And I know we've also got a LinkedIn live trial audience today as well. Um, you can submit it either via that email address or you can submit it via the Seedle.com system. Um, we will attempt to read some any comments that may be in the LinkedIn live box later. Um, I'm not sure how this thing works, but we'll give it a go anyway. Um, but in any case, um, this week, me and JB had a couple of interesting topics we wanted to talk about. One was around change leadership in a post-pandemic world. And the other one was a bit of a bugbearer of mine around leadership and decision-making 
for learning in their business. So a bit of self-interest there, JB, I must admit. And then we've got a couple of listener questions already submitted that we'll come to a bit later on. How does that sound for the next 50 minutes or so? I think it sounds fabulous. But do you know, we were talking about how many podcasts we've actually done. Mm. You know, it is over 50 for sure. Um, well over 50. And who in their right mind uh, would spend that amount of time talking, as we do, for an hour every week, unless there was a really, really good relationship underneath that? How could you possibly spend so much time with someone and kind of talk so much? Some of it actually is quite useful. The rest is probably about bongos and sheds and kitchens and weird stuff. But I think, so what I'm saying to you, Anne, is that um, it's almost like I'm going to give you a compliment now. Oh, no. That, well, it's, look, I do think that if anyone wants to embark on doing a podcast every week uh, on leadership or anything like that, I think you've got to have quite good trust yes. and quite, quite, a, quite a good, healthy relationship um, because it's one of those things that if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't be doing this, would we? I mean, we'd have done it for a couple of weeks and then, nah, you know, it's, it's a bit boring now. Um, but we kept doing it. And so the, I want to ask, Anne, why do you do this? Um, number one, because I value your thinking. So I guess that plays into the trust Someone piece. Someone does. That's yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so JB's the brains and I'm the broad. Oh, no, not at all. Um, and you're... Ooh. Well, there we go. But yeah. but no, I think I enjoy I enjoy um, talking about topics which typically do enrich the live stuff we do with our clients. And mm. and I think originally when we first launched the podcast, it was always a subject per episode. And then we went through a phase of looking at the news articles of the week and trying to put a business spin on it, which is quite time sensitive. But I'd argue a lot of the episodes are now timeless. But there doesn't seem to be a week gone by when there's not a load of topics that we can talk about. And typically our prep meeting for the people that haven't watched these webinars or these podcasts or before, listened or watched, um, it is, it, there's always something interesting to talk about in the news, which we can put a business spin on. And, you know, change leadership in a post-pandemic world is one of them this week. But for me, it's enjoyable. And also, yeah, I enjoy your company. It's nice to not have a PowerPoint deck or a load of questions, or to have to think about the production. I mean, today is a bit interesting because we've got cables going in everywhere for LinkedIn and uh, Seedal users. But there you go. What about you? What what draws you to it? 55, 60 episodes in? Because as you say, we've got 75 hours of recordings to listen to now, if we want to. I uh, So very similar to you, uh, I think it's good to just throw around some ideas and take ideas from other people. And actually, audience questions are really great because... Mm you know, sometimes they can be really quite stretching in terms of, oh my God, right, okay. Um, and and you've got to go how you feel and what you think rather than, right, I need to look up a reference book. And actually that puts you um, on the spot. And I quite like that. that and I like, I like the fact that you are the technology guru, uh, my ningy new, my technology ningy new, because without you, I wouldn't know what button to press, how to press it and how many turns on the dial I need to put in every minute. So you're bloody good at that. So, oh, and um, Ant is now, um, for those of you who can't see this, my book is going in and out of the screen. This is what they no call app placement, leader. isn't it? And and yeah, hi to that. William and Beautiful. Dave, who, who may be watching on the live stream. I, I'm not too sure. But um, this is my reference book. And actually, ironically, we possibly may refer to elements of it in today's episode, I'd have thought. Well, I t there's lots of linkages. Some of those are obviously deliberately made by Ant and I, <laughs> but on the whole, they're not. Um, and then we claim that they were linked. Um, but anyway, I think there are some possibilities for some lovely, lovely linkage of things in today's podcast. Right. Well, let's get going. And, and, hello, and to those on LinkedIn, I know that we I've just had a quick look whilst you were talking. We have actually got five viewers on LinkedIn as well as our Zoom uh, Seedle audience. So it's quite a sizable audience today. But for those of you that are watching on LinkedIn, this is a first. We are not expecting it to hold up, but we'll see. And um, it's just useful for us to experiment with these things to broaden our appearance and audiences around the world. Um, well, I'm sure if, we can get rid of them by the end of the podcast. Indeed, yeah. And if you want to put a comment in the chat box, I'll try and refresh it later and we can say hello to some people. Um, I need to say hello to James, um, who is listening today, who sent us a message. Um, and also happy birthday to Paul, regular listener Paul, um, who spent a year listening to us in 
Bermuda, where was he? Bermuda. Yeah. Yeah. Was anyway, it? Barbados, that's where he was. Anyway, happy birthday yeah. to him today, who's, I think, 104. So, um, congratulations. <laughs> right, so this week's episode then, all around change leadership in a post-pandemic world, and also leadership decision-making around education for their employees. Where do you want to start, JB? Well, I, th- I, I think probably a good starting point is um, the title, uh, which is um, Change Leadership in a Post-Pandemic World. You see, um, I think that's quite interesting because I don't think we are in a post-pandemic world. And mm. I sort of, I, I picked this um, piece written by this guy, Campbell McPherson, from the Executive Education Department at Henley Business School. So he knows a thing or two uh, about change, I would say. Anyway, the only thing is, I don't, I don't feel that we are in a post-pandemic world. I think uh, we are going to get lots and lots of different pandemics uh, hitting our shores. Whether they will be as severe mm. as the first wave, the second wave, who knows? They might be worse. Uh, they might be better, but I, I'm so I've got a problem with the title. But apart from that, uh, it's a really interesting um, study uh, into the capacity that people have uh, for change and how the pandemic has actually really, really equipped uh, a lot of organisations. Uh, with this sort of special ingredient of being change ready. Yeah. Um, he, uh, this guy Campbell McPherson, he he suggests that actually it's it's treating everyone as individuals is the way forward. You know, there's no group group fit. There's not there's not group think about these pandemics. It's actually about who's change ready. Uh, do they know how they're going to deal with that change? Because everyone deals with change very differently. Mm. Um, in his piece, he talks about, you know, the initial shock and the surprise of the, the arrival of the pandemic. Um, and then this n- usual curve, we go into that... Yeah, I was going to say, it's a variation of, of like a normal change curve type thing, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. We go into that state of denial and avoidance and confusion. And then, oh my God, um, and I think I had a little bit of this around Christmas time, to be honest, which was, um, you know, kind of a lack of energy and a bit of a dark, darkish mood, um, which which he refers to as a sort of depression stage. Frustration, anger... Um, and I'm, I'm sure that a, pop, a lot of people would identify that. And then experimental decision making, and then and then integration. Okay, so we've got um, the integration of the changes, but don't go thinking then uh, that we've reached this new normal. Mm. Um, you know, we we we've got this terrible uh, phrase, which well, it'll be fine when we get to the new normal. I, and how many how many pounds would I now have? for every time people have said, we, we can go back to normal. It'll be fine. We, we, you know, we're gonna get back, things back to normal as soon as possible. Have you heard that, Anne? I'm, everyone's talking about going back to normal or reaching a new normal. Well, you and me pre-COVID would stand up at the beginning of leadership programmes and we would say, I bet you've heard these cliches that change is coming. And, and it's kind of like this carrot that is dangled in front of a group of people that are an employee in a business to say, stick around because things are going to get better eventually and guess what change kind of happens but what we used to then say to them is well what do you mean changes changes all the time i you know the one normal is no normal and obviously you've gone on to author a book about it jb but one thing that i think change creates which is where you and i tend to lead a lot of this work that we do is creating certainty in uncertain times change creates uncertainty and you kind of need to put a change management piece around that which actually creates the security for the people that you want to create security for give you a couple of examples example one um, i think it's safe to say as a leader and for our listeners and our viewers i would rather work for someone that is creates comfort and certainty for me in uncertain times as opposed to one that comes out kicking and screaming that probably creates even more uncertainty amongst the people because their own behavior 
is almost counterproductive. Um, and to use a crude metaphor, you know, the captain of the Titanic, I'm pretty sure, would have remained calmed and composed despite knowing the reality of the situation unfolding in front of him in the attempt to try and create some certainty and safety for those people in that situation. And I think too often, um, I think you used in a previous episode, JB, um, COVID being a, a test run for mm-hmm. uncertainty and change. And I don't think any of us anticipated the impact of what's happened, um, you know, 18 months ago. But here we are now. And we're still, to your point, I think, not out of the woods yet. You know, there's there's talk in the UK today, for example, about them delaying the the complete unlocking. And for those of you listening to our archives in six months' time, um, we're, what are we, 10th of June today? And we're 11 days away from allegedly everything being relaxed around rules, which I think we all know is probably premature and most people wouldn't be that bothered if it did get delayed by a couple of weeks. Anyway, I digress. And then you can criticise me for saying we well, shouldn't have said that in the future. But... Um, I think organisations need to now help our people understand that change is constant and therefore why do we need to make a big thing out of change? Um, and my, my second point, JB, is, is that I think we also have to be, in the individualism that you talked about with this article, you said that everyone should be treated as an individual. And I, and I think you're right to a point. I think leaders have a problem, though, in the in front of them as an audience of people that report into them some of them are going to be really cool with change they love change others are petrified of change because when they've gone through change previously it resulted in them losing their job or hardship or something that's hurt them personally so i think um style awareness when communicating consistently is really important to make sure that the understanding of what change means for people is consistent regardless of the engagement um, capacity, um, emotional intelligence of the receiver of that communication. So I think for me, communication comes out strong as a piece around change leadership. Have I rambled longer than I should have done? Oh, no, by the way, no, no, uh, no. Um, hello to Anne-Sophie in the audience who's put a comment into the chat box. Oh, marvellous. Marvellous, marvellous. Um, hello, Anne-Sophie. Lovely to see or hear. I can't see you. Yes. But, um, anyway, notice the new beard. Um <laughs> So uh, Macpherson um, basically says that um, if we've learned anything from the pandemic, uh, it's that we have an enormous capacity to change. People people can change. Um, but some, as you rightly say, Ant, will have a different uh, stage on the change curve than others. Um, others uh, are actually quite thrilled by the idea um, of uncertainty. Uh, there's a great book actually called Relax, It's Only Uncertainty, um, which Ant um, has a copy of. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, it's a really su- superb book uh, that prepares you uh, for this idea of perpetual change. And actually, it is your greatest competitive advantage uh, when you get to grips with it. Um, Macpherson goes on to say uh, that we are funda- fundamentally able to change quickly and in various ways. Uh, within our organisations, but emotions are at the heart of our propensity to change. I think that is the big game changer um, in what he refers to as this post-pandemic world. I think there is this, well, what are we going to do with all this emotional stuff? Um, you know, how do, we, how do we get engaged and how do we harness, how do we make that happen? Because actually making... Uh, change and uncertainty, your competitive advantage, the advantage for your individuals and the business as a whole, this has to speak to um, the the heart. It has to speak to, to the emotions uh, in the organisation. Uh, the, the final point in the, in the bullet section, this rather interesting article, is change is not a project. So... You know, when you when you get someone in HR saying, right, how are we doing with the change project? Well, it's not a project. It's a constant. Mm. Sorry for those of you who are in HR. I shouldn't I shouldn't um, I shouldn't say that really. But um, it's a sort of thing that you just might hear. Right. Um, we need to kind of get a, an update on the change project. What? Um, anyway, so uh, the pandemic has accelerated the evolution of many industries. Uh, they've innovated 
uh, pivoted and demonstrated agility. You are one of those, and I think, um, that has got to grips with it and actually seen an opportunity and jumped at it. There are others who have put their businesses on ice, uh, waiting uh, for it to return to normal or the new normal. And I see it in, you know, just like a, there's a hotel down the road from here and nothing's changed for them. You know, they, they all went off on furlough and they've all come back. And it's, the, it's, the, it's just like the world was thrown up into the air, uh, the hotel included and all its people, and it's now landed in exactly the same place. And it's still shit as it was before. Um, and it will carry on being shit. And it's like, well, there was such a big opportunity, actually, um, from this trauma uh, to, to learn something really, really exciting for tomorrow's world. And I think it's, it, I, I'm finding this more and more, uh, that there is this, con well, if we can do that, what can we do? Yes. You know, this confidence in their in ingenuity, their wisdom, and this other point about compassion. And, you know, this. Th there's a whole load of noise, good noise, around stress uh, and well-being. It was there before COVID, but my goodness, it's, it's big, it's loud, um, and I think trying to give people more autonomy in organisations. This we've talked about it many times, and about um, you know people's um, freedoms, control over their um, working practices, uh, flexible working, and so on. Uh, I think the enlightened organisations are having loads of these really, really great conversations. Um, about how do we harness our, our wisdom, our ingenuity, our compassion, um, and, and actually turn our readiness uh, into our competitive advantage. And that's what I loved about this uh, thing from Campbell McPherson. <clears throat> you and I have witnessed over the last 15 years seismic change in the industry in which you and I were born and bred in, if you will, um, career-wise. And what we've seen in the last 18 months is a turbocharged example of change management in process because there has been a forced situation for businesses to look at. So the, the example I'm talking about here is, is that JB and I know that about uh, 16 years ago, Commercial radio started to become more aware of the risks of the internet attacking its listeners. Simultaneously to that, instead of me downloading my favourite songs onto a device the size of my calculator and having my favourite 200 songs on a portable device, not only was that the problem for my listening figures, the radio station were also competing with an increasing online local marketplace with adverts through Yell.com and Google. So they were being attacked for revenue and listeners and the way consumers evolved. And equally, if I think of uh, printed phone directories um, that were huge, Yellow Pages was a FTSE 100 company in the UK, uh, what, I think uh, eight, nine years ago still. They'd kind of capitalised on Yell.com but since then, they've, they've all kind of just disappeared. And, and that's because, to JB's point, they, they held firm. Print will return at some point, And we're going to be just fine. And guess what? They haven't. And they've disappeared. And um, I think what we've seen, to your point, JB, is companies that are not scared of putting their business on ice these businesses that have evolved into takeaway businesses. So I had a, a local Italian restaurant last year that did exactly as you say, they they put all their staff on furlough. And then about four weeks later, when the government then said, you can do takeaway services, they then turned themselves into a takeaway delivery service. And incidentally, that was great for us because we have four children and I don't often have the opportunity to take my wife out without us having to pay someone a small fortune to look after our terrorist children. But... Um, so we still get the Italian takeaways and the guy came to deliver um, last week and he said, um, I said, how's, how's the restaurant? You know, you, you filling up? He said, we're about 70% capacity. So not bearing in mind we reduced capacity, we're 70% of the new capacity, which is not great. But we are up two years on two years ago because the delivery business is actually meaning that we're up year on two years ago because people are now 
interested in Italian food takeaways, which previously was limited to fish and chips, kebabs, Chinese and Indian takeaway meals. So um, I think these businesses that have sprung out of the pandemic in a good place have embraced change. There are organisations as well that you and I have worked with recently where actually they were intending to make their workforce 70% remote within three years. They had to do that in five weeks. And the reason they said yeah. it was going to take five years was we need to issue laptops. We need to equip people at home. We need to do a workplace assessments. Uh, and all of a sudden, the governments around the world have said, no, you people can't go to the office. Suck it up and deal with it. And then when internet service providers said, well, we can cope with the capacity. It's not our problem. It's the business's problem. Don't get me wrong. I think laptop sales went through the roof, I think, about uh, you know uh, 15 months ago. But that has been when... You're faced with a crisis, the leadership of these people, they really come out as, as something amazing. And I think those businesses that have evolved, that have pivoted, are the ones that are going to do really well from this. And I also feel quite sorry for those businesses that probably didn't have a business model that was portable or transferable. But I can't remember. I think it's we need to look it up, JB. I think it's like British Leyland it used to be one of the biggest manufacturers in Europe of starter motors for cars. And um, I think and, um, this it's let, let's pretend it, it is, but it may be a different company. But when they realized starter motors were becoming more reliable and they were lasting longer than cars were, they realized that very quickly their replacement products that were always selling out nicely to all of these, um, you know, uh, car and uh, what are they called mechanics all over the country and over the world that they had to change their business model. And then they, they then transferred their business into logistics of mobile phone delivery. So there is now a separate division of what was British Leyland or another company where they've completely realized we need to we have a we have a bank balance. What can we do with this to make sure that we can carry on growing the bank balance in the future that could be completely different? So I think to your JB's point, though, there are businesses out there and I'd like to think Seedle is one of those businesses who is constantly trying to look ahead. And sometimes we've all been guilty of being too far ahead. You know, there are some businesses saying to us right now, I reckon it's all going to go back to face-to-face -face learning pretty quickly. And if that's what you think, then then fine. But ultimately, what that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing organisations that, that understand the nature of consumer habits has changed. My workforce want to work remotely sometimes and come in sometimes. And when they do come to the office, if they are going to do any learning, it's going to be kind of a workshop roundtable discussion. It's not going to be sit in a room and stare at a screen anymore. And on that basis, do we really need to drag people into the office for that type of thing? We don't think so. We still do face to face, as you, you know, JB. But but the world is changing. Um, and I think that's where it gets exciting. Hello to Claudia, by the way, in Bucharest. Um, Buna Dominata, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, well, easy for you to say. Yeah. Um, but on a global uh, level, uh, you, just thinking about the, the, the training point and, you know, pulling a whole load of people from around the world to one location, be it Miami, New York, wherever it happens to be, uh, you know, there's quite a cost in that, yes. uh, involved in that. Environmentally and, and cash terms and time. Well, and, and I'm glad you said that because it's not just a, the cost, it's the cost of the environment. And, um, you know, I think that's going to get noisier and noisier and noisier. And I, I think the pandemic, uh, the linkage uh, of the pandemic to the environment, I think is is kind of beginning to to really circulate. It's beginning to to come out now. So from my position, of course, I would you know I, I'm not going to turn down work, but the scale of uh, assignments that we were taking on around the world uh, would would I want to go back to that kind of normal? Not. Not, not necessarily. I, 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 I think I'd have to be paid an enormous amount of money so I could stop doing it within about two years. Because um, I actually, I really quite like this whole virtual communications and, and testing how we can engage with our audience uh, in a different way and using the technology uh, and the interaction differently to make it more, even more powerful and interesting. And, you know, if there is an opportunity at, at various points, 
uh, to do workshops and things around the world. Well, great, but yeah. I think it's going to cost uh, quite a lot uh, for you and I to do that. Um, and therefore, I don't think uh, it will be as much as what we used to do. And I'm glad about that. I'm, I'm happy to, to, to actually say that. Uh, even if we are potentially earning less as a result. I don't actually I don't think that will be the case no. because I think we're pivoting and innovating and creating lots of different businesses and business angles uh, to replace what we used to do, was, which was hugely costly in terms of health and in terms of the environment. So I know of a company that used to have their global conference and it was five days. They reduced it to two. And the first three days were all virtual. And that was the literally, you know, you, you, we've all been there, right? You sit in a conference room and you sit with water and there is speaker after speaker. The room's getting warmer. The alcohol from the previous night's consumption is starting to get across. Everyone's desperate to get out because they've got emails. out of your shirt. Yeah. And they're desperate to get out into the breakout areas to catch up. So this one company I know, and they remain nameless because I've not asked them for permission to share this story. They Do then, I know them? They, they, uh, yes. They um, did three days virtual where all those keynote speeches happened, but that could be done wherever it was, to devote the two days to being all about workshops and activities and discussions. So actually, we're no longer, you know, the time we're together, we should be doing stuff together. What could be done in front of a computer screen, you could do at home versus staring at someone face to face doing it. And the money they say, they then distributed into a bonus pool um, for um, the entire business. So it was a win for costs and those savings were passed on. It was a win because when you were together for those two days, it was absolutely immersive and an experience for people rather than sitting in a room doing things they could have done anyway on the computer. Um, and the communication that needed to be conveyed was conveyed in a succinct way still. Um, so for me, things like that are much better. And certainly I think where live learning, for example, and leaders are all becoming communicators. We're all broadcasters now, aren't we? You know, we can do a lot more of our communication virtually. And then when we do bring our people together, it's purely about building relationships and doing experiences. Now that could be a learning activity, um, but it, it, it's not uh, a sit in the room and stare at a computer screen for two days, which what's the point? I, I predict that within the next five years, here's one of my crazy predictions, mm. that artificial intelligence, 3D printing, um, and virtual communications will absolutely have revolutionized the world. People will be working. We, we think we've done a big change now. Uh, I think uh, we will be making our own things in our in our sheds at the bottom of the garden do you know which the, may, do you know what the first thing i'd buy i'd, I'd do with a 3d printer jb make a copy of me so you could no i always want no. the real deal i want the original okay. no the first thing i print with a 3d printer is another 3d printer and take the first 3d printer back to the shop that's quite clever i like that i like that you're welcome <laughs> that's quite funny um, but I, I've seen some 3D printing stuff and medical 3D printing. Oh, my God. This mm. is just uh, so that not only are they doing operations virtually, but they've now got 3D printers to, to bang out a new, um, you know, a new part to your body. <laughs> um, and uh, for late night <laughs> listeners of this podcast... Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I'm not going to go any further with that. We'll just leave that there yes. and uh, move on. Now, um, we've got uh, some other bits uh, in this podcast to focus on. Uh, what have we got, Ant? And I bet you it, it dovetails, it segues perfectly into the conversation we've just had. Possibly. Um, yeah. well, well, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. It, yeah. n let's be honest, it rarely ends where we thought it would, would when we start discussing these subjects. So let, hear me out then. So um, I have a bugbear. I have a bee in my bonnet, um, yes. which is, um, and this will resonate with most people, whether you are a people leader or not, or you're a HR or an L&D person, this will be especially painful. But the first things to get cut in a budget when budgets and things are tight is internal communications and learning and development. They're always... Don't do it. Don't do it. There you go. End of episode. And next week, ladies and gents. Um, so 
for me, there's a couple of things that are bugging me. One is, you'll know we talked in a previous episode that if we were to ask line managers and in the Zoom room, um, in our Seedle room, not the LinkedIn room, feel free to put into the co- the confidential chat to us um, um, how this affects you. But um, too often, organisations hire for technical skills and they fire for soft skills, as you and I are, uh, are constantly told, it's called a soft skill. I like to call them human technical skills, but that's by the by. So we hire for technical skills and we fire for human technical skills or soft skills. And yet we don't think about the financial impact on the organization of not investing in those people to fix them rather than losing them and hiring someone else completely different. So point one is for me, organizations really need to wake up and smell the coffee here. You need to go and speak to your HR department and say, let's have a look at the regrettable attrition. How many people have we lost because of the behavior of this leader? We need to support them rather than exiting them because they may also bring technical specialties to the business as well. But secondly, I'm not sure CFOs or CEOs for that matter, necessarily put a financial impact of voluntary attrition on their business. Now, you and I know that we talk to recruitment um, partners quite regularly and, and they do some amazing work. And when I talk to them, their biggest frustration is when they sell the employee value proposition to a client they're placing a candidate with, they get placed, they leave after three months, the client's not happy, um, which creates a reputational damage on the recruitment partner. And equally, they then either have to compensate them for that or then that candidate has less trust in the recruitment agency if they ever want to be placed in another organization in the future. So where am I going with this? I think organizations begin need to begin to quantify the cost of not investing in people. Because Oh, that's like a, a return of not investment. Um so an yes, a, 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 risk, wrong... a risk of doing nothing rather than something. So my argument is here that CEOs and CFOs need to work out how many people they've lost that they didn't want to lose. And then they need to put a cost on how much it costs to replace those people. So there are naturally going to be probably recruitment costs, whether that is you use an agency or you don't use an agency. You've still got to advertise, you've got to hire, it's the man hours of sifting through all those CVs, the interviews, the offer process. You may end up having to replace one in a more expensive salary than the one you were trying to retain but didn't, etc., etc. And most people we're talking to at the minute put a cost between seven and $15,000 so whatever that is in your euros and pounds equivalent, that's roughly the amount of money that businesses are having to spend on a replacement hire. Yet, how much would investing in those people cost to keep them? Do you know what you can call that, Ant? What? When you do your big um, piece on LinkedIn. Hmm. Well, we're on it, it, but yeah. It's called a, it, oh yeah, so we are. Uh, it's called a Ronnie. A Ronnie? A Ronnie. It's a risk of not investing. Oh, it's a Ronnie. Oh, Ronnie. It, rather than an ROI, it's a Ronnie. I think that could. I think that could be quite catchy, actually. Interesting. Yeah. So, so what, what's your thoughts then, JB? Because I, I, I genuinely think that if businesses could articulate or, or you know, the business could understand the cost of doing something is an investment to reduce their voluntary attrition costs surely it makes more sense and you want to retain your good people. In fact, ironically, we've had a client contract win this week where they've just done a huge restructuring because they've run out of money, but they now want to invest the people that they've got left behind to try and keep them. They don't want to lose these people. They've made the cuts. They've had to make the cuts. It's painful. We need to invest in these people now to keep them. And that's their, that's the return on investment is to, to stop the leakage of, what would you call it, um, survivor syndrome. Anyway, what's your thoughts? Well, I think that's brilliant. I, I, so um, if I was um, running a, a, an organization again, uh, if I ever was allowed to, uh, I think I'm, I'm probably completely unemployable now, but um, I would be saying to the HR director, you need a Ronnie. Uh, I want a Ronnie. Uh, and they'd look at me blankly and think, what the hell are you talking about? And let me, let me spell it out for you. Um, it's uh, basically the risk of not investing in your people. Actually, that's a Ronip. <laughs> Sounds like an off vegetable. <laughs> I need a Ronip right now. 
Um, so I think I think that uh, enlightened uh, HR directors would would go to their CEO and say, "There's there's something I'm going to put up up on this flip chart, and it's called a Ronnie." And the CEO is going to say, "Well, tell me more. Tell me more about this Ronnie. What is it? Is it a, a new recruit? Is it a new executive? Is it someone replacing me?" No, Ronnie is the risk of not investing in your people. So we're really, really good running this business for sure. But actually, uh, you know this pandemic thing we've just had. Uh, this is where I'm attempting to link this. And very good. Like <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, you know how we how we um, preparing our people to maximise on this fantastic change ability that we've just been through. They've survived this. That, so eighty percent of that are working virtually, and uh, there's many of them thriving. Some of them aren't, um, and we're helping them through that. And you know we uh, we've got the right moment actually to invest massively in our people so that we have this competitive advantage. We've just shown that this organization is change ready. It's change capable. So how do we how do we retain that? Uh, we invest in it. If we don't, uh, we are massively at risk because not only are we going to lose this fantastic opportunity of gaining competitive advantage, but other people will take that void. They will take that space and they will deliver when we don't. And we will end up with Betamax uh, in our business. So be more change ready, essentially. Look, I think so that there's there's two points I really want to hammer home to all people managers. If you need to invest in your people, you need to get better at number one, highlighting the risk of not investing in the people, the 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 the, the Ronnie, the Ronnie, the Ronip thing. Um, <laughs> so. Um, you know, if we don't invest in this team, we're going to lose them. And the cost of replacing them is going to be far more expensive than the training courses is number one. Number two, have a look at the people you exited. So you've actually now got all your exit data. The people that voluntarily left, could we have saved them by investing in them and attach a cost to that? Secondly, the people you fired, have a look at how many were fired because of their soft skills, not the technical skills. Because the majority of organizations we talk to tend to agree with the statement that we hire for technical skills and we fire for soft skills. They're a brilliant accountant. They're a brilliant lawyer. They're a brilliant salesperson. They're, they're a bloody pain in the ass for the business's culture. So we had to let them go. And you and I see that all the time. So you've now got all your attrition data leaders. Have a look at the ones you fired. And was it were they salvageable? Had you been given a learning budget? And how much have you lost in the fact you had to fire them, replace them, someone else to train up? Secondly, the people that left, could you have kept them by investing in them and put a cost to that? If, as most of our clients tell us, it's between seven dollars and $15,000 per regrettable attrition person where they have to replace them, and how much is it going to cost you for a couple of days training? Whether you use a company like Seedle or JB's company like Trimodus or anyone for that matter, we're not fussed where that money goes. But often, too often, it's seen as a discretionary nice-to-have spend but I'm not sure the top table of many businesses understand the financial impact. That's how I used to fight for my budget when I used to run L&D departments. Is you've told us we need to reduce attrition by 4%. I reckon I can bring it down with this plan by 2%. And guess what? When so you did it, you then get more money. When are you going to do the, the, the webinar, Ant, on how do you, how do you um, get the right budget for your people? Do you look at it from a, a Roy perspective or a Ronnie perspective? A ROI, obviously, is your return on investment. Oh, right, okay. I think it was like ROI was like down the pub. ROI, ROI. Yeah. Uh, are you a ROI or or are you a Ronnie? Which one are you? Well, I know what Anne-Sophie thinks of you, JB, which is a younger JB, very handsome with a beard, apparently. No. You, they're in you're, the, making that, you're making that up. I'm looking at the LinkedIn comments quickly to make sure we do any shout-outs we need to do. And Anne-Sophie says, you look younger, JB, very handsome. Meanwhile, that's her way of also saying, "Aunt, you look older, fatter, and less attractive." <laughs> so, no, is there a way we can? Quickly. Is there a way we can block these people on LinkedIn? Aunt Sophie, for, for God's sake, can you please say something nice about Aunt? Otherwise, we'll never hear the end of this. Gemma in the in the Seedle room says that um, I do look beautiful too. So, thank you, Gemma. I think you've got um, beautiful eyes, Aunt. <laughs> no, seriously, I think you've got absolutely. I, they're like eyes that you you know if I was a girl I, or or 
gay or transsexual or yeah. um, non-binary. Yes. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd just want to to schnoodle up to your eyes and... and What, remove them? Make them all crinkly. <laughs> oh, Lord. And just give them a good... Oh, look at those what, lovely why eyes. Why are our live viewing figures going down all of a sudden? Um, <laughs> well, haven't we gone virtual yet? We should have hundreds and thousands of people um, watching now, surely. Um, in the live audience on, on LinkedIn, there's six, apparently. and then obviously Six? We've got, God, it's gone up 100%. Yeah, and then we've got, obviously, our 100 or so in the Zoom audience or the Seedle audience, so that's a different thing. Um, anyway, so, look, um, leaders, give some thoughts about how you can create more compelling business cases to justify investing in your people. Because unless an organization sees material cost of doing nothing versus something, they ain't gonna budge. Sales education is very easy to demonstrate return on investment. We're gonna reduce the sales pipeline duration. We're gonna increase order value. We're gonna improve the renewal rate. It's relatively easy to say by investing in this, we're gonna get that back. However, think about this. You've got people leaders in your business. If they are not well performing and the, and the colleague engagement of those people reporting in are bad, you need to invest in that job band. JB and I know that a couple of years ago we were working with an organization and they their lowest engagement job band was the first line managers. But 85% of people reported into that job band. So of the organization's headcount, 85% of people reported into a job band that hated working there. That's a problem. So use your data to build business cases for learning leaders. Otherwise, you're going to struggle to keep those best people, even if they're great, even if you create a culture, they will reach a ceiling. And I've, I've left a company before saying, I love you, my boss. I love the company's culture, but there's nowhere else I can go. And what are you offering me to stay? The salary is one thing, but and our recruitment partners tell us exactly the same thing. It's not about a basic salary anymore. It's about what you're going to do to help me learn. And that's a problem for leaders, I think. Gosh. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, that's uh, no. That's really um, good. I think. I think there was a, a very big connection between those two pieces of um, information that we were sharing. Mm. Actually, uh, about being. It's about readiness. You know, we 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 need to be uh, able to invest in our in our people in the right way, uh, and to build high trust, to build high performance. And you know you you can't you can't do that if you don't invest in it. You've got to invest in your people. Yeah. Uh, you know, just we haven't got we haven't got any money left. Well, find some money, make some savings, um, you and put it into your people. Now is now is the time. Now is the, is is the most important time to invest uh, in your people in every way possible. We have five minutes for listener questions um, <laughs> and we need to move on with it swiftly. I know one was submitted in advance. If you have a listener question or anything around leading people, you can either email us at globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. If you're in the Seedle audience, you can do it in the Q&A box and you can mark it as anonymous if you want to be anonymous. Please, if you're using LinkedIn and you want to ask us a question, remember that we will see, everyone will see your name. So if you want to email it instead, you need to be quick. Um, and just a quick plug, if you are on the live um, um, Seedle session or on LinkedIn, you can access all of our archived uh, podcasts by searching Seedle on your preferred podcast platform. And normally we only do this on Seedle, but we're testing out LinkedIn live today, which hopefully has been useful. Well, there's seven in there. So we're increasing constantly. Just a shame we've only got nine minutes left. So listener questions. I need to scroll up here to find them. One second. Oh, no, scroll too far. Okay. When should a leader be selfish? And that is by Catherine in London, UK. When should a leader be selfish? I think uh, that it is the most brilliant question. Um, so when you gave me the heads up on that question, uh, I, really, I really... We don't normally need heads up on the questions. We normally read them live, but I thought this one's quite a deep one, so... Yeah, I think it's great. And... I thought, right, okay, so get get rid of the ish bit um, and just go for self um, and, you know, think about when a, when a leader doesn't invest in self, uh, doesn't do the work uh, in their heads to be more aware, uh, to learn, uh, to uh, constantly... Uh, improve themselves. Um, I 
I think it's a really interesting question because there's a real balance. You you know very quickly, I think, when you walk into a room, who in who in that room has something like a self-serving bias? You know, there's a lot of people uh, that you meet in the world who have this kind of self-serving uh, style. It's it's about them, and it's a bias. And so, is it right ever to be like that? Uh, no. I I don't I don't think uh, to just have this sort of self-serving bias is is necessarily a good thing. Um, I think that becomes a violation of fairness. Fairness as a leader is getting the balance right between uh, one's own self-development for self. I think it's absolutely right that a leader has time to invest in themselves. And it's it's a bit like the uh, metaphor of you know, flying along uh, in your plane and then something goes wrong and the oxygen masks come down. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I think on the on the bump, not that I ever read it on the plane, you, as a parent, you're supposed to put the oxygen mask on first. Please place your mask on first before helping yeah, others. Yeah, I mean, how many parents would actually do that in real world? I don't know, because it's like, oh my God, I've got to, I've got to put it on my kids. Um, but, you know, so I think sometimes it's really important uh, for the... Uh, leader to get that oxygen mask on, um, to to get some good kind of awareness of what is the situation, what do I need to deal with, and now I need to now I need to get everyone else sorted. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure about the word selfish, but it prompts all sorts of things um, about self investment. Um, you, you're looking after yourself physically, mentally, and in every other possible way. Uh, I think to commit to doing the work on yourself and your learning and your performance and your development, I think that's fantastic role modelling. Uh, I think to have a self-serving bias where it's all about you, a little bit on that sort of narcissistic scale, mm. I don't know that that's a good thing at all. I, I think in the short term, maybe you can get shit done but in terms of building trust, building relationships, bearing, building consistency and caring and all the things that you need to do now, I, oh, I, I, I don't think leaders should ever be selfish. Um, I think they should commit to self-investment and show everybody the benefit of that. And we're out of time. I don't have time to answer that question. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. Um, I don't have much to add if I'm totally honest, JB. I think um, you've tapped into most of the points I would have done. Um, additionally, small things. Um, I think if it's impacting you personally, um, a similar metaphor to the uh, the aircraft and the oxygen masks, if you aren't in a good space, how are you going to be able to support others? And that's probably where I would say you do need to be selfish. Um, you have to make sure that you're in a good enough space and fit mentally um, and physically, I guess, sometimes to be able to lead others. So as a leader, sometimes you do need to be selfish. Also, there are times when you do need your space. Um, if you've created a culture of codependency, and we talk about this extensively on our webinars, um, you know, we, we need to get out of that. And I think you need to be selfish to invest in yourself to learn new skills so that you do feel there's more balance. I would suggest by the question, maybe there is this, when can I look at me? I feel completely overwhelmed by what I'm being asked to do constantly. So I think putting yourself first in those situations are good. Um, but I think as JB's mentioned, trying to you know, be, be careful not to be a narcissist. Um, but there you go. Um, I'd heard a lovely um, concept the other day of, uh, and it's, it's, it's a kind of musical uh, analogy and it's, um, Listening to, listening to the music, not, not just knowing the words. So sometimes if you're a leader and you, you, don't, you don't invest in self enough, if, you, if you're not able to just be aware and be conscious um, rather than living to everyone else's expectations and delivering for everybody else, 
you'll know the words, but you're not, you might not know the music. And, and so I think, you know, to, to sort of stretch it a little bit, I think sometimes if, if being selfish as a leader means that you know the words and you know the music, I think that's a that's that's when you would be. Um, uh, we have time for one more question, if we're quick, I suppose. Which is, um, what mistake as a leader have you regretted most, and why? <gasps> oh my Ooh. God! How long have you got? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think anonymous, um, by the way. Yeah, I, I think being a bit of a cock actually um oh my god i'm not allowed to use you've already swore more than once today so we're already oh. you know we're going to be reported to linkedin live for oh explicit a yeah a cockadoodle do um <laughs> putting my pinstripe suit in on going down doing a um big big powerpoint presentation on how the world was going to be in this um flagship uh, business that i had been asked to run and it wasn't authentic. It wasn't me. Um, and people um, afterwards told me that they were a little bit disappointed. So I thought that I had to do what was expected of me and uh, go down and, and tell them how it was going to be. I got it wrong. I got it seriously wrong. But it was the best lesson. I One of the best lessons I've ever had in management because that told me, the moral of the story, gang, is it's bottom up, not top down, in your communications always. But that, it, that's bet, the focus. I bet that memory goes in the self one playbook, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. But I tell you what, it informs me. Um, you know, if I'm ever doing anything with groups and teams and so on, I, it's 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 from the bottom up that we get our ideas and our thinking and our trust building and everything else. Um, we don't we don't go. Uh, top down. It's not about us. It's it's not about me. Uh, I'm I'm serving this. I'm serving you. I'm serving this thing, and I'm offering myself up to that. And we're going to do bottom up, and then we'll work up a business plan, and we'll make this thing hum. Which is eventually what I did, but I absolutely seriously cocked it up um, in the first instance. For me, um, early management career again. I think um, what I knew from managers before me, because I hadn't been on any kind of soft skills training on managing people was probably not valuing the thinking of my people enough i presumed that what the management wanted of me as a manager was to create clones of me and therefore you spend your time imparting knowledge and experiences which you hope are going to be investments in those people to be better as individual contributors and ironically i debilitated their potential because i was telling them what to think and when they then tried that and it didn't work because perhaps there's a bit of personality and there's art and science together in some of these things. Guess what? They come back to you saying, well, that didn't work. What next? And I created this culture of codependency over a few weeks of me starting thinking, <gasps> what have I done? And I then had to do a bit of a reset. So for me, um, it was, a, a, again, a painful experience of what not to do. And certainly since um, I make a point of of really spending time to understand anybody before giving them my thinking, unless in one instance I've been brought in and they've been you've been told this person's a big headache and you need to need to give them a bit of a kick into touch to use a metaphor so that would be my my experience super duper what's your plan for the coming weekend and as we wrap up this session um uh, mr bradley anything exciting Ooh. bongo trips to go uh, galore uh, yes there is going to be a bongo trip on sunday hmm? nice. um and it's a magical mystery tour i don't know where but we are committed to going out in the bongo uh and having a little drink looking out to see and uh, we won't be staying in it, so we won't be doing the um, top and tailing mm. uh, this weekend. Uh, we'll save that for another time. So, yeah, bongo, bongo shit. What about you? Oh, God, I've sworn again. I can't help it. Well, sorry, audience. So anyone for BBC listening in to potentially give us a job. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, uh, for me, this is the first weekend we've not had guests over because there's been a relaxation for the last four weeks in the UK of you being able to have friends overnight to stay. We've had my dad coming to visit, my uh, uncle and auntie, uh, and some other relatives, and my daughter as well, of course. Um, so it's quite nice this weekend having not much on. So we have, um, um, it was my um, middle boy's eighth birthday. So inevitably building his Lego kits that he got. Um, there's a football match I've got to take the older son to on the Saturday. So dad taxi stuff and the usual bits and pieces. Um, sounds sounds lovely. I'd like One day I'd like to take a little trip down to you and get involved in your 
family uh, adventures because it's a long time ago since I was building Lego things and going taking my son to rugby matches. So um, maybe I'll come down and break open a little beer and get a barbecue going in your garden and then invite you all over that sounds into lovely. your garden. That Does that sounds, sound good? Sounds lovely. Sounds lovely. Well, anyway, um, thank you for listening. For those of you in the LinkedIn live stream, um, uh, a special hello. Um, I know we've been testing this today, um, but thank you for you for joining us. Uh, obviously, our usual Zoom audience via Seedle, um, thank you to you. Uh, if you've got any listener questions, please email them to globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or you can submit them through Seedle if you so wish as well. Um, and of course, if you want to listen to the archive, you can do so. Just search Seedle on all of your various different podcast providers. You'll look for the leadership one. And you can listen to, I believe it's 57 episodes of this stuff now. And of course, we are every week live on Seedle. Um, you don't need to pay to access this, but we decided to use this as a test basis for um, our um, uh, LinkedIn live test today. Anyway, um, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been JB. And a special mention, I think, uh, to Ronip and Roy. Thank you. Bye-bye.